Welcome to episode eight of Legal Fiction. I'm your host, Joe, joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how was your last week? Sucked. <laughs> just uh, just sucked uh, utter butt, man. Uh, the other day, I, a practicing attorney, uh, injured myself in what we call in the industry a slip and fall. I slipped on a slick surface and injured my knee. So now I'm an adult walking around on crutches. So that's cool. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And this is one of those deals where you go to the knee doctor and the knee doctor's like, well, you know, could be this, could be that. Do you want to pay for an MRI right now? Not really. All right, well, uh, you know, ice it down for another week or two and come back to us. Okay, thanks. I remember that's like when I I busted my finger in law school. I was at a metal concert and I'm like a relatively, I'm not small, but smaller guy. And I was just getting tossed around and some big, like six foot seven, probably like 300 pound guy just picks me up and he's like, get back in there. And he threw me in and I just immediately fell on the ground. And then a combat boot just came down on my hand and I went probably to the doctor worn by like a probably worn by like a girl who's all of <laughs> five foot even, you know, and, just like, <laughs> Oh, it's still just destroy me. But I, yeah, I went yeah. to the doctor like a week later. Cause I was like, yeah, I can't really bend my fingers that well. And like, he was like, yeah, you just kind of like sprained um, your ring finger. I was like, Oh, so like what I do, he's like, nothing. It's just always going to be big like that. Now I was like, Oh, great. <laughs> uh, so I just pay on my way out. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Yep. So do you want, okay. What if I just, next time I just show up with just a lot of cash and hand it off to you (laughs) right away, skip the paperwork and then I'll be about my way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry to hear about your, uh, your knee injury. Yeah. Uh, How was your, how was your week uh, for me this week? Um, so like we've already established, we're both in the Midwest and it's the summer and the summers in the Midwest fucking suck mm-hmm. to make it even better. Uh, my AC broke this last weekend, oh, like shit. just like broke, broke, like was not working in the slightest. <laughs> and, uh, I'm about to move out of the place that I'm at right now, as you can tell on our zoom call, cause there's boxes all behind me, but, uh, it was like, it straight up got to like 85 in my apartment <laughs> and, and it was, in this like low 80s to high 70s outside i was like how is it warmer in here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's that insulation man it just traps it <laughs> and so like like i'm like texting my lord i'm like dude anything what can we do to get someone out here and they're just like oh, i called them you know we're on the schedule i was like yeah i'm sure it's fine for you you're in your air-conditioned like fucking house yeah. uh and they came out it took them all five minutes they're so like oh yeah we just like you know, blew this blockage here. You're good. I was like, God damn it. Like, <clears throat> oh, so it's back online though. Oh dude, I got it set to like 63 in my place now. Oh, nicely uh, done. Nicely yeah. done. I'm just like, turn it down as far as it'll go. Cause this is my last month here. I was like, I'm going to fucking run it up. Oh yeah. Let it ride, man. Let it ride. That's uh, I'll tell you, know what? If your AC was still broken I'd feel worse for you than I feel for myself because that's like, <laughs> I, I would take this knee sprain or whatever the hell it is over going several days in Dude. this crap without AC. It, it's brutal. It so. was terrible. I bought one of those like as seen on TV Arctic chills that like you put ice in and then it just like pulls air over the ice and blows it out. I, the th- like I was so hot in my place. I put it in my bedroom, turned it on, and within 30 minutes, all the ice was melted. And it said it would last like eight hours. I was like, "Great, all right, well." Well, I think you're gonna have to make a make a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission, man. <laughs> false advertising. Uh, speaking of big complaints, uh, there you go. Nice one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yair Bolsonaro is like he's definitely doing fine, right? Like, there's definitely no issues with his health. He's just in the hospital for a bout of hiccups, I think is what I saw it was. Ten days, ten days of hiccups, which candidly sounds like hell. Like, I mean, have you had the hiccups for longer than, like, 20 minutes? Oh, yeah, it's the most annoying thing in the world. Can you, like, after, like, two days, like, imagine trying to sleep with the hiccups. Like, 
that will drive your ass insane. Like, I mean, I think there was like some story of some girl who had the hiccups for like years and like they didn't know what the cause was. And then one day it just stopped out of nowhere. And like, they still don't know what it was. They're just like, yeah, I, you had the hiccups and now they're gone. Oh, God. But with Bolsonaro, it's like, is this just the hiccups? Dude, you're hooked up to like every machine that hospital has. Like that picture of him lying in the bed with just all the wires. And now he's like slowly walking around the hallway with his like IV. I'm like, yeah, just hiccups. Sure, <laughs> Bolsonaro's doing just no, fine. No, he's just taking this as an opportunity to show off all the cool stuff that Brazilian healthcare has to offer. <laughs> all right. They are not a second-rate Western power. They've they've got all the stuff. They've got the machine that goes bing. They've got the tubes. Uh, they've got everything. They're, they're set. All right. Uh, God, what a couldn't have happened to a to a better person. I know, right? You know, just uh, that's fly high, Yair. Fly high. Speaking of other things, just going great. There are protests and counter protests going on in Cuba right now, and it's kind of. It's kind of nice to see the like modern Democrat party kind of learn like, hmm, maybe we're the baddies. <laughs> Unpack that a little bit, Joe. I mean, what, I mean, what, what I'm mean? no like foreign expert. And like you can have criticisms of uh, Fidel Castro, like you can criticize certain parts of him, but you have to recognize also the good things that Cuba did, like their literacy rate declaring education a right public medicine yeah i mean their uh, own work on the vaccine i think it was what like 93 percent effective and they did that while under the midst of a complete international trade blockade from the u.s like mm-hmm. so yeah, for, for you nerds out there it'd be like if the planet of naboo in star wars episode one in oh, the God. midst in the midst of the trade federation <laughs> blockade had somehow I, i've got no i'm not going there <laughs> But I mean, but you're right. Like, shoot me. It was literally like the U.S. used them for everything that they had, and then they're like, "Oh wait, you guys are going to be socialists? Never mind. You can't do anything anymore." And then they turn around and be like, "See, look, that's what happens to a socialist country." Yeah, no, it, it's the uh, classic. Uh, I think you should leave hot dog costume situation <laughs> where we're all trying to figure out who did this. It's like, well. <laughs> Maybe would you systemically starve an island economy uh, from any viable trade with almost anyone? Uh, yeah, maybe things are a little bit rough there, uh, which is which is the point. That is the point. That's been the point for, what, 60-some-odd years. Yeah. Uh, same with yeah. Venezuela, you know? Like, it's just, I mean, whatever. These sanctions, uh, I don't know. I'd like to actually see a Excel sheet or maybe the whiz kid uh, – Who's that tool bag at 538, Nate Silver? <laughs> I'd like to see him do some data metrics on, because, you know, he loves baseball, too, because he's a tool and a nerd, and nerds love baseball. That's true. It's gospel. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, I'd like to see him just take a look at what countries are subject to severe economic sanctions by the United States, for how long those sanctions have existed, also tagged to the you know declining uh, in birth rates, the decline in average life expectancy, uh, you know, you know various measures that or metrics that by which one can assess sort of a overall quality of life, and then see how effective those you know sanctions have been at actually getting what we want. I think most countries actually just sort of like suffer them because well we're not gonna just get rid of the person we elected that's our government like fuck off yeah Yeah. or or you know a a critic of that would say well the the bad guys in control won't let them and we'll repress them like okay yeah that's fine but nonetheless i mean look at the track record i mean i think u.s trade sanctions are taking a lot of l's in the long (laughs) i don't think they've actually i don't think they've affected any changes or results other than you know hurting a lot of innocent people oh yeah Oh, yeah. Moving into some entertainment news, a story that I just saw and actually kind of like mixes the legal world, too, is Disney is currently being sued or at the heart of a lawsuit with one of their insurers. And uh, it's interesting if you like like the legal world and the movie world, because essentially what it is, obviously, it's still COVID is still going on. But last year we had all the major lockdowns. 
studios mainly in LA. LA had a pretty extensive lockdown. They weren't able to film. And film studios have insurance companies provide policies for things like this. If a star gets hurt, if there's a natural disaster, if there's some sort of government mandated lockdown that they can't film, they have insurance policies that pay out these claims. Uh, the insurance company is agreeing to pay for the first lockdown, but saying that they are not responsible for paying for the second payment of lockdown. This is uh, the classic. Uh, this is the classic uh, where there are multiple occurrences, or was it really just <laughs> one? So we paid for the first one, but no, no. Actually, we're saying it was one ongoing occurrence. I don't know. I haven't looked at the briefing on that, but uh, it's really tough to find the the bad guy when you're talking about Disney pitting it That's against the, the thing. insurance company. <laughs> That's <laughs> the like, thing. It's like, oh man, how will Disney ever financially recover from this? But mm-hmm. at the same time, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, fuck, if they find that like the studios have to pay for this, like, yeah, Disney's going to be fine. But like the stuff that makes like all the other, like, you know, really enjoyable stuff that I personally like, I mean, they might be fucked. Because like they'll be like, I could take out an insurance policy, but if something like this happens again, like doesn't matter. I'm going to be on the hook for it. Uh, that might be a little slippery slope type of argument, but I don't know. We've, some... we've never been known to take those on the <laughs> But I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm a Disney shill now. Maybe I'm a fully Disney. Uh, I'm not going to become a Disney adult. Never mind. I can't. You're do a Disney that. head. You're a Disney <laughs> head. That's all right. That's all right. I see those Mickey ears in the background. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, uh, so Disney will be fine. They'll just green light Black Widow 2, Electric Widow Woo. Electric and- Widow Woo. Which I saw that it did make like 80 million this uh this last weekend. Oh god. You know what? That could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is like it, I think I'm like most major review forms that got a seven out of ten, which like in Disney terms for these like people that give them reviews, I'm like, that means this movie must suck. If it's only getting a seven out of ten, because every other one is getting like at least a nine. Yeah, I made the uh, mistake of telling the truth the other day at a <laughs> at a work social event uh, where I was talking to this really great guy, great attorney. Uh, you know, he's a bit older than us, but he'd mentioned he was really excited to to go home, and then uh, they were going to watch Black Widow. And instead of being polite and being like, "Oh, well, that sounds fun. I hope you enjoy that." I, I essentially like made the like, uh, I guess, law firm event equivalent of this noise. <laughs> I, it, I uh, don't really remember what I said, but I remember talking too much. Uh, a little <laughs> bit of this podcast was bleeding out in that moment. And then I caught myself halfway through and then said, but hey, you know, like... You know, gotta love the movies, man. Yeah, it's the same for me. Like, I have, uh, like, younger associates at my job who will ask about, like, barstool stuff, and I have to just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool, yeah. And in the back of my head, I want to be like, God, fuck this. Joe, can you get them fired? (laughs) All right. I Uh, I guess the things we have to put up with. But on good movies, I did watch the third and final Fear Street uh, nice. last weekend nice it was really good it was really good the whole series as a whole it's really good yeah um, we uh we just watched 1994 it's uh, it's really fun like oh, yeah. it was awesome it was a really like like it was not only fun but like like objectively it was well made like and like you said in our last pod a lot of homages like it's a very yeah. self-aware very smart but uh and very very rl steiny all of your street like it it it's good and like there's some legit freak out moments like there's some real scare moments like it's awesome and it's just the right amount of gore yeah i know? mean like it doesn't have it the whole movie but when it does it you're like oh damn that uh-huh. was a- <laughs> oh yeah the, the gf at one point and i think you know which point in 1994 <laughs> uh probably the sickest of them she yeah, literally uh, she she got visibly ill just seeing that she's like no they're not gonna they're not gonna oh and i here i am just hooting and hollering like that's awesome yeah no i mean i enjoyed it i do think at some certain points it had a little bit of like the netflix writing where it was like very much Mm. like a 30 something year old trying to like write how teens talk nowadays a little bit sometimes in it but overall it wasn't a big detractor i thought it was awesome 
the the 1978 was really good too. 1666. The only thing I I'm just not a big fan of those like period type pieces and like the old English talk. But overall, I loved it, uh, and I would suggest for anyone who hasn't seen it to start. The only thing is, is what is it I as hate. boring as the witch? The witch <laughs> sucked. I'm gonna go on the record here saying the witch sucked. Man. The only thing that I that made me mad is uh, Netflix is not packaging them as one like collection. So there's gonna be people out there who are gonna be like, oh, I should probably watch 1666 first, or like they're just gonna find one randomly and then they're gonna be like, wait, this is referencing something I haven't seen. Like, come on, Netflix. Yeah, uh, you gotta. You, you raise a good point. I know a lot of people who are absurdly no. I have to start at the beginning. It's like no, you don't. You actually like Star Wars, for example. Don't start at episode one. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. It's no. Just trust me. Just just start at four, and then when you get after you get to six, go to one. Then you can jump to seven. I don't. don't it's no. It makes sense. Just just go with it. Uh, speaking of the last good. Uh, Another good movie on our last topic here. Uh, the French Dispatch premiered at uh, Cannes. Cannes, however you say it, I always forget. But We still haven't figured that out. We yet. still haven't figured that out. <laughs> but uh, it, their photo got the meme treatment. Um, mm-hmm. Also with that, they uh, so a lot of reviews came in. I saw a lot of blowhards being like, uh, Wes Anderson is going to Wes Anderson. I'm like, that's him. If you get mad that Wes Anderson is making a too much of a Wes Anderson movie, like just stop watching movies, man. Like the dude is literally he's invented his own style. Like let him do his own style. Yeah, I mean, it's Wes Anderson is truly not trying to accomplish anything. He's not trying to prove anything to anyone. He's not chasing glory or even money. He's just figured out that I really enjoyed making these. Yeah. And I make and I make money and I meet people and I interesting people and Bill Murray's one of my best friends now. No, yeah, like uh, all of his movies have like dedicated friends in the cast who are all like A listers too. Yeah, and I I still don't understand Tilda Swift. Like she looks like, like she could just look at me and I would like disintegrate. Like what and what is Tilda Swint? This is something <laughs> that we will need to meditate on when we do our Michael Clayton episode down the road. Uh, in which she's she's a key key player in that film uh but uh you know that's not today that's uh for another pod uh on another week and on another download folks uh but for this one all right loyal listeners uh joe i'm stealing some of the segue here so just fucking deal with it uh this one we're finally bringing out the heavy hitters all right Loyal listeners, you've listened to us kind of take on some movies that admittedly are a little bit on the fringe of legal moviescape. Uh, we've hit a couple of classics, but, you know, we've had a, you know, a, a variety of things, but finally we're into the good shit. We are hitting, <laughs> we, uh, uh, well, hold that thought. Uh, we're hitting John fucking Grisham, okay? Yeah. I mean, which, you know, his, as far as our podcast is concerned, I mean, his is canon at this point. Like, yeah. the John Grisham movies are the stand, modern standard by which a legal film will be judged. And so, uh, Joe, uh, I'll kick it to you here. <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't seen the title, we are reviewing The Pelican Brief. From the best-selling thriller by John Grisham, author of The Firm, and the client. From Alan J. Pakula, director of All the President's Men and presumed innocent. Julia Roberts, Denzel Washington. The Supreme Court of the United States are ultimate symbol of law and order, but in a single night, two of its justices will be brutally assassinated. A thousand miles away in New Orleans, a lone law student has pieced together who did the killings and why, and created a document that has become known in the corridors of power as the Pelican Brief. Now, she has become a target, and the only person she can trust is an investigative journalist. Everyone I've told about the brief is dead. 
this thing reaches as deep and goes as high as we think it does, these men will do anything not to be exposed. Julia Roberts, Denzel Washington, The Pelican Brief. Based on the 1992 novel by John Grisham, which I have not read, and I had not seen this movie yet either. Which baffles me that you <laughs> hadn't seen this movie before. I, I'm baffled by your like. I mean, I've only read a few Grisham books. I haven't, and I didn't read this one, but I mean, at least saw, I've at least been alive long enough to be hung over <laughs> and watching TNT on a Sunday. Oh, night. this is such oh, a TNT oh, movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like your dad just got done mowing the yard and oh, Pelican Briefs on. Denzel Washington's in that. This, you know that? This is that. This is like the. I'm gonna. You can't see it because I'm on Zoom. Well, you're listening, so you won't be able to see this, listeners. But it's the movie that, like, your dad just comes in from mowing and just stands like this to watch. Yep, just cranking the back, just kind of looking at it. And you're like, "Do you want to sit?" He's like, "No, I'm about to leave. I'm about to leave." But he just stands there for like a good like hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, because it deserves your respect. It commands attention. <laughs> Uh, of dads across the world. <laughs> yeah, the Pelican Brief, more like the Pelican Long, uh, kind of warn you, listener. How is How was this movie two and a half hours? So yes, this movie is long. It's also the second to last movie that this director, Alan J. Pacula, ever directed, hmm. um, <clears throat> which he's got some pretty good stuff in his repertoire. I mean, he directed Presumed Innocent with Harrison Ford. That's he a was- good one. Oh, we need to do that one. Yeah, he was the producer of To Kill a Mockingbird, and that's not even he was the director of All the President's Men. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so So, I mean, this this guy's got some game. Yeah, (laughs) which, which I'll get into later. When I saw that, I was like, and then you made this. Uh, Well, you know, some people just need another paycheck before they (laughs) fully retire. Man, you can't, you can't, uh, can't aim for that. So. Pelican Brief. We get right into it. We're boom, boom. in NOLA. This is our second movie in the NOLA-verse. Woo! Uh, I don't... Party! It's it's in NOLA, but it's not in NOLA like uh, no, Runaway Jury in... was. Like, Runaway uh... Jury was in NOLA. This movie, I'm like, there's a couple scenes, but NOLA is not much as a beloved character as it was in Runaway Jury for this one. I mean, you make a good point there, but uh, I love the depictions of New Orleans in 1994, <laughs> like 1994 fashion. Uh, I like to kid myself as being a 90s kid and loving like fashion and, you know, aesthetics of the early to mid 90s, like the grunge stuff. But then I watch a movie like this and see what it was actually like. And good God, uh, everything from the hair to the ill fitting pants and shirts to, just terrible colors just like it's just it's just one prolonged eyesore i mean it's really rough so yeah so we start off there's like this random shot of just like protests outside what is presumed to be like the supreme court but just amazing just amazing but we just had a shot of like the swamp so i thought at first i'm like oh are we at like a new orleans courthouse or something and i I thought i was like is this going to be another like racial thing no it's just we don't know exactly what the crowd is mad about, I don't well, think. It, no, you don't, and the director doesn't either, because if you watch this, uh, listener, like, if you look at the signs, they run the gamut of being pro-gun, anti-gun, pro-choice, uh, you know, anti-abortion, uh, all sorts of civil liberty stuff, like environmental stuff. It's just sort of like, apparently, at one point in the 90s, people would just regularly gather outside the U.S. Supreme Court for no reason, just to (laughs) just to shake their poster or placard and yell at the old ass chief justice hanging out inside, uh, who's too busy uh, talking to a reporter from the Washington, quote unquote, Herald. Um, That's the Washington Post. Yeah. And I don't really understand why this reporter is just hanging out with this Supreme Court justice. He's not really like, he's just like a friend, apparently. Uh, Uh, yeah, because it, yeah, because as everyone well knows, the United States Supreme Court 
those justices love having reporters hanging out in chambers and talking yeah. politics and policy. Totally believable. Like Denzel yeah. Washington is just old pals with this, uh, you know, geriatric, whatever. Friends with a judge clearly, you know, cosplaying as Stephen Breyer today. But uh, <laughs> he's these two Supreme Court judges. One is like extremely old. Like uh, so old. Like so very old. old. Like wheelchair and like oxygen tank old and so he uh he gets assassinated by stanley tucci the old guy the old guy gets assassinated he kills him he gets away he then kills a different supreme court justice who's just hanging out in a porno theater by snapping his neck in the middle of the theater i'm like no one notices that he wore as a belt which is i mean that's kind of awesome uh Though, like, that scene reminded me, like, of that scene of the in The Departed where uh, Matt Damon meets Jack Nicholson and the adult, you know, in the porno theater. <laughs> uh, it, like, it, it was, like, the same vibe. Like, he's even wearing the creepy jacket and hat to try to, like, cover himself. And, like, I, I do appreciate the fact that a, you know, the movie tells us this was a fairly conservative Supreme Court justice. Like, you know. Yeah, I have to get in that joke, like, but he's going to the porno theater and i'm like what about Uh if he's just doing research on what constitutes obscene you know know, they used to do that they used to do that like they they, like the united states supreme court back in the day in the 50s and 60s when pornos first became a thing they would just have viewing parties and they'd just like throw it on the projector screen they'd have popcorn and (laughs) drink bourbon and they would watch really old awful porn with their bros uh which just goes to show the Supreme Court has never been chilled because uh, <laughs> they've always sucked. Yeah, yeah. I just I can't think of a worse thing to do, worse bonding activity to do with, <laughs> my, with not even my guy friends, just any friends than and watching it's like, pornography. It's, and it's not just like one; that's a full day. Uh-huh. There, there would be like eight hours of porno. Yep. Yep. Uh, an aside: I once in college uh, during the summer. We had to, you know, sublease a room because our, you know, one roommate was going to be gone for this summer. So I'm like, all right, well, oh, we found a guy to cover rent. Dude's name was Corey. I don't know his last name, quite frankly, but Corey was a character, uh, you know, casually smoked weed wherever in the apartment, which, you know, that didn't bother me, but others a little bit. He was kind of a rural country hick. Uh, fine, whatever. I mean, I didn't get along with him. I'd be like, well, I got along. We weren't friends, but he had this habit of watching porn on our TV. And like, he was just like, you know, like a roommate will come in, grab the remote. And like, you know, people are just fucking about and like kind of flip it from sports center to TNT or something. And like most people don't, don't notice. He would just put it on porn and like crack a beer. But like, yo, <laughs> man, look at this chick. <laughs> and it was just like, no, <laughs> not no, absolutely not. I am not. So, uh, yeah, eventually there was a there was an apartment meeting. Over. <laughs> All right. First rule. Yeah, he, he stopped doing it after a while, but you could tell it shaped his ass a little bit. So we're also introduced to Julia Roberts, who is a student at Tulane Law. She's like a very go-getter type of student. She's like saying, well, the Supreme Court justices are wrong. Uh, her best friend is played by Cynthia Nixon, the almost governor of New York. Twice, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they don't establish until after the Supreme Courts are, uh, have been killed. She like wakes up in the bed with the professor, and I was like, oh, she's fucking the professor. Okay, all right. Who's, who's, who's considerably <laughs> older than her. Not like super old, but like at least double her age. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's so there's uh, that. It's a little weird. So she like gets all up about this assassination, and she decides to do her own research. Dun dun. She goes to the library. There's like a little montage, which kind of gave me PTSD to law to law school. Like the little desks with the light, and she's doing all this research to to write her own brief. She writes the t- title Pelican Brief. Oh, uh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Okay. Why these people? got or who she thinks engineered the assassination of these two Supreme Court justices. 
and it's uh, kind of brilliant. It's kind of a brilliant theory yeah. because, like, you know, the, the old chief justice that we were making fun of is a liberal lion type, you know, uh, and the other is a fairly conservative one. And you, we learned that there's a conservative in the White House. So it's like, huh, well, what, you know, how do these justices relate? So she actually went to the trouble of analyzing. I mean, she got her spreadsheet and just was analyzing holdings and found where they came down on things together. Who would want to kill these two guys because they know how they're going to rule? Which yeah. was pretty it. I mean, like, uh, that's a cool conceit. I like it. Let's go. Yeah. So she gives it to her boyfriend and professor. He then gives mm. it to his old law school buddy, who is an attorney for the FBI. Played by the dad from uh, Home Alone, as you may know, Alan Hurd. Oh, I said he's, I wrote in my notes, I'm like, that's the cop from Sopranos. But <laughs> also the cop from Sopranos. Another Sopranos sighting. Hit the pod, man. All right, mark it up. Mark it up. Throw it on the board. Uh, and at the same time, we're also introduced to Denzel Washington. He's, like you said, a reporter for the Washington Herald. He's, like, trying to tail information. He gets a random call from someone calling themselves Garcia, who has information on it, but doesn't, is, like, scared to give it up. He's trying... Trimmed. Yeah, he's trying to like coax him out of hiding and everything. They, I mean, it's it's a cool uh, concept of her getting the brief, but like he just gives it to the FBI and the FBI is like, yeah, this looks good. Let's run with it. I was like, what? I was like, I get the whole like connection between the two justices of how they how they rule, but I'm like, what sort of connections did she make that would implicate? directly this man paying off someone to assassinate them i was well, like it's a well, good theory but i was like you're just like taking any sort of like dropbox accusations i mean like yeah let's start an investigation well uh, i mean she is a student and an accredited law student. <laughs> uh that being said i i want to dial back because at one point though which is funny like when the president you know First of all, he has a national address over the assassination of these Supreme Court justices and being like, oh, the country needs healing right now. They need my leadership. I'm like, I don't, I, I'm just imagining a world, especially in the 90s, where people really all care that much that two Supreme Court justices are dead. I mean, I mean, I, I, I buy it. I buy it. it. It's just funny to me. Uh, but what's really funny is when he calls in the head of the FBI and the CIA into his office to be like, so what are our leads? And they're like, well, you know, we're still investigating, dude. It's like been 12 hours. I, we don't really know. And he looks to the CIA guy, played by William Atherton, also known as the asshole from the Die Hard movie. Uh, he's the reporter who jeopardizes John McClane's children and, and John and, and uh, Holly. Uh, and the CIA, and he goes, I want to know that there was no CIA involvement on this. And the CIA director goes, I'm insulted that you would think that. <laughs> and I just laughed. Like, I mean, like, yeah, no, the CIA has never been involved in any extrajudicious <laughs> anything. Like, what never. would make you think such a thing? I mean, sure, yeah, we killed Kennedy, but <laughs> uh, he was not a Supreme Court justice. Parody, parody. I don't think the CIA can sue us for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll just, you know, you just won't show up to the pod one day. Um, yeah, uh, well, thank God. Thank God. Uh. So after this brief gets all the way up to the president, uh, Julia Roberts and her professor are out to dinner. He's drunk. He insists that he'll drive home. She says no. She's like, all right, I'll walk. He starts the car, blows up. He's dead. He, like real blows up. And it was one of those like old school effects uh, <laughs> blow up too. Like his body was rattling around in there like a like a like a popcorn seed in a yeah. bag like i was, love those i love when they do the old practical over like the cgi explosions where you can tell like yeah. they just literally blew up a car all right yeah. cool it was awesome and uh, it's sort of like i mean it's sort of uh i call it uh uncle owen on peru effect in star wars where they show the like burning corpse just sort of like oh nope it's right there like modern movies they like don't show that anymore but back in the day they're like oh no here's the here's the body in the flames there you go it's uh, it's pretty rough so she realizes that, like, she's being, like, watched because one guy fakes being a cop at the, like, scene to talk with her. She realizes that she's being tailed. She meets her friend, uh, Cynthia Nixon, at this, like, bar slash laundromat. Yeah, in uh, Noah. As, as we all know, uh, well, Joe, what you don't appreciate since you've never been to New Orleans <laughs> is, is that 
given the low level of the ground, there are so few spaces where you can safely do laundry. If those oh. safe spaces happen to coincide with those that are plumbed and piped correctly to be able to support alcohol. So, you know, there you go. I mean, half the bars you go to in New Orleans have, uh, have washing and machines and dryers that like you huh. can just do them. Yeah. Well, so she meets with her. She tells her like, I'm going to be in hiding. You need to go away. There's a assassin who's playing like the very typical, like, come on, I'm a nice guy. Let me buy you a drink. Let me like take you out. Handsome singing voice. I mean, uh, 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 he, he like, he, he, he breaks down into song in the middle of a quarter of her. He like gets applause. Like the guy's got a wonderful singing voice. So, uh, which is not what you want from your nondescript thug because when the body gets found and local cops start asking, they're like, oh, well, tell you this thing he was classically trained in opera and so you know. <laughs> yeah so he he like tries to kill her they try to go after her she gets away by basically just like having a bunch of bikers like jump the one guy and beat him up which i was metal like Hell heads, yeah, dude. metal heads and bikers those guys <laughs> like she runs into the scariest guy you could imagine and, and she's just like help me and then the next guy comes he's like all right and he's like dex him i was like yeah. sweet dude yeah in true metalhead form like the biggest scariest metalheads are the biggest teddy bears. When you <laughs> see someone who needs help, it didn't matter that it was Julie Roberts. It could have been anyone. Be like, I got you, and then the whole crew just beats the shit out of that dude. <laughs> uh, there's a quick scene after that <clears throat> where they're at the funeral for the law professor, and they're asking her friend about her, and she's like, "Oh yeah, she's with an aunt," and like she makes up like Colorado or something, which mm-hmm. like tipped off to me. I'm like, "Oh, so everyone just knows that she's like sleeping with the professor." just like mm-hmm. everyone's cool all right all right um so she agrees to meet with uh what was his name uh gavin I think? well yeah her the dad from home alone. yeah she agrees to meet with him uh <clears throat> right after he gets off the phone with her he gets killed again uh also by the tooch man yeah and- which, who's who's fucking racking up the bills <laughs> uh and before we go uh, point of order here this may come up in the motion to strike but stanley tucci plays this assassin named kamed or kamel or something kamel. yeah something vaguely arabic oh, i thought um, they said he was from france no 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 no, oh, no. arabic maybe. they said he's a he's a middle eastern quote-unquote uh terrorist uh, uh so stanley tucci showed up i mean just looking really tan yeah oh yeah uh, he just got a tan yeah. yeah, but I'm like, is Stanley Tucci doing Arab face? <laughs> like, I was like, what's going on here? And so, also, this is, okay, little pointer and listener while you're watching this, I hope you get upset about this too. So, the bad guys hire this assassin to kill the Supreme Court justices. <clears throat> Fine. Whatever. He escapes. Uh the news reports actually link it that it may have been this guy named Kamel, this Middle yeah. Eastern terrorist. And then after that, they're like, hey, yeah, we need to kill this girl and whoever she's <laughs> talked to. So he comes back? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, what? The money ain't that good, dude. Like, you're a professional. I get it. But, like, you should know, like, yeah, this is too hot. Not worth it. Like, come on, Kamel. Like, come on, Stanley. Ridiculous. Yeah, so he impersonates the FBI lawyer and meets with her. Uh, he's apparently just going to kill her in the middle of this big crowd on, like, the pier because he just, like, is slowly taking out a gun while they're walking together. And apparently uh, someone Chris, Chris Kyle was hiding out in the, the field because he just gets domed and falls down, which everyone runs, which, like, again, I was like, what was Kamel's plan? He was just going to shoot her? And then run with everyone, yeah, like what? And they were they were about to get on a boat too, which is an even harder getaway. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, uh, so she goes in. She like runs away. Uh, she then has finally established contact with Denzel Washington's character, which like at this point I kind of forgot about him in the movie because we're right. like halfway through, and he's just kind of like a side character. No, he's like a main character. They finally meet halfway through the movie. And at this point, we also finally learn what the brief is about. Like we've already mm-hmm. said it, but we don't, as a viewer, you don't learn about it until halfway through the movie what all this connection is. 
which is actually pretty good suspense building because yeah, the whole yeah. time I was wondering, I want to read the goddamn brief. <laughs> like I was <laughs> really worked up about that. Uh, so they uh, they go over the brief. He goes to his boss, John Lithgow, and is like, he, uh, I got all this stuff for the, the Pelican brief story. And he's like, no, I'm taking you off. We need to put you on something that's actually going to make money. And he was like, no, I'm close. I'm close. Darby, Julia Roberts' character, runs away, then comes back, and then meets up with him again. They start doing this whole investigative, um, uh, this whole investigative series. There was, I did like the Georgetown part where they were like, they just showed how like dumb, like school registrars could be like, hey, can I get this sure. kid's schedule? And they're like, yeah, sure, here you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, imagining that happening. I was just like, well, that wouldn't happen at my law school. And then I thought about it for 30 seconds. I was like, yeah, no, actually, I could see that happening. Oh, uh, yeah. God love our admin staff. But yeah, yeah, yeah that, that seems fair. Oh, well, then there's like the one she was like, okay, they finally called us. You can't get this like 10th whatever kid's schedule. And the kid there's just like, oh, I know that guy. Um, He's at this hospital, like mental hospital. You can go see him there. I was like, dude, is everyone just giving people up? in this movie like what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. pre-social <laughs> media man yeah. so instead of instead of like oversharing or over posting people just like volunteer shit in person totally different dynamic yeah so they uh she goes to meet uh this one guy who is now like he had like some sort of breakdown in law school uh which which if you read grisham shit he loves that trope I mean, oh really yes not to say that the legal field doesn't have a disproportionate number of burnouts, drunks, dropout, you know, like, I mean, like it's a pretty brutal field, hence why we're doing this podcast for fun. Uh, But yeah, no, no, like, like the rooster bar, one of his novels focuses on a law student, just totally losing it and then dying. Uh, There are other, you know, kind of like cautionary tales to a lot to, yeah, I mean, like, he just loves that trope, which is, you know, it, so much so that it's kind of a cliche, but, you know, it, it moves the plot along, I guess. So, yeah, they're, she meets with this guy. They, like, lie to the hospital so that they can, like, sneak around, get in. He pretends that he's her sister, and they uh, they learn that this Garcia, who was supposed to be the secret source for Denzel Washington's character, his name is actually Curtis Morgan. He works in the oil and gas division of some very powerful DC firm. Uh, they then go to try to meet with him. Security comes and they're like, uh, he just got killed in a mugging. And they, she runs out and she's like, they killed him. They killed him. They get out of there. Uh, this whole time, they're also They've being got a tail on them. Yeah, yeah, they're being tailed by this one guy who kind of looks like the dollar store version of Stanley Tucci, to be honest, the whole time. Yeah, and that one mean-looking chick too. Like they weren't fucking yeah. around. Yeah, they. Uh, so those, those were senior associates. They're looking to make partner. <laughs> they. Yeah, no, I was like, so this is like the firm's Michael Clayton, basically. They. Uh, they go to meet with Curtis Morganson's uh, widow. She just gives them the safety deposit box key. She's like, he was hiding something. I don't know what was in there, but I know you're working on a story. So here you go. Uh, God, people Again. used to trust the press. They really yeah. did. And uh, they go there. They find all these, like a videotape and some documents that basically confirm what their theory was, that their client, Victor, was it Victor, Matisse, whatever, Matisse was paid for these assassins to kill the two justices so that the president would replace them with more conservative justices on the environment who would side with him and let him essentially take all the oil out from underneath the swampland and uh, kill all the pelicans. I yes, to kill, that's why it's called the pelican brief. Uh, uh, while they're getting away, they he goes to start the car and it does a little like, and she for some reason remembers that's just what it was like when her boyfriend's car blew up. So she's like, "Get out of the car!" So they run away. That one lady assassin. It's clear she's actually just a lawyer because she's a terrible shot. Like God, she's so bad. She's blasting. Blah, 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 she's blah, shooting blah. at them, and that's like there's a lane down this parking garage. You can see them, and she's just hitting every car around them and not them. 
and also why open up from that far away too <laughs> like i mean like you could just pretend to not be an assassin for a little bit uh it, it's just, just it, it, you shot your wad too early yeah so the one other guy like just careens out of control hits the car that he set the car bomb <laughs> car bomb on blows himself up just uh, ridiculous just just the stupidish <laughs> oh just like some real like abbott and costello type shit i mean but, yeah like even the blues brothers director would be like <laughs> no that's a little on the nose let's uh, just have a hundred police cars run into each <laughs> other that'd be better uh they they that grantham writes his story uh he gives the he they do this montage where they ask like the fbi to comment the cia to comment all this stuff and i wrote down in my notes i'm like nice montage so they do know what a montage is because this is the first fucking montage that they've done in this movie. Every other thing they have to show painstakingly in its full form. Uh, second montage. Second <laughs> montage. Her researching the brief. Yeah, I got the brief. Technically qualified as a montage. It was a long one, though. It was the opposite <laughs> of a Rocky Four montage. Uh, his story gets published. Um, they, The FBI director confirms that he was told to back off by the president uh that the cia is investigating and apparently uh one of this the cia just ordered some agent to also track her uh, mm -hmm. and that was the agent who shot and killed kamel uh back on the pier weird uh, that the cia would <laughs> shoot and kill an arab national uh that, i mean extrajudiciously that's that's curious to me i mean they could have just called in a drone it would have been easier for everyone uh they the fbi like offers to help her which in my mind i was like why are they offering to help her now when everything's done but then i was like oh they just don't want the blowback so they'll give her whatever she wants basically to not get that okay um the fbi were kind of the good guys in this but yeah really, but they really were like the they were like the good guys in the way that like democrats try to say they're always the good guys they're like ah my hands are tied i would help but yeah, this guy but, over here won't let me do it so and then but then the cia was actually the guy <laughs> your guardian angel looking yeah. out for you the whole time so, so that's like, what, what happened fuck? in like cambodia and venezuela they were just yeah. okay all makes yeah, sense now. Uh, it, it's i mean john grisham's politics are very prescient i'll just say <laughs> that much uh uh they i think she must have gotten they never mentioned it because she just says she wants like a plane somewhere she must have gotten a big payout, though, too, because she doesn't go back to law school. She's just like, fuck it. I'm going to live probably in, like, Europe or some shit like that. Well, she has her father's money, his inheritance. Ah. So, like, I mean, they dropped that clue when you are wondering, wait a minute, how's a poor law student, like, buying hotel rooms? <laughs> yeah, true. Either on a credit card or in cash to evade these things. And she and her friend asks her, are you okay for money? Like, what are you doing? She goes, no, I have the, mother, the money my father left me. It's like, okay, well that at least resolved that true, so true, true, true. so um, as per usual uh you know privilege rears its ugly head again <laughs> a working class uh law student uh wouldn't have had these opportunities oh they'd have been dead just dead or would have just fucking left new orleans <laughs> i mean you could do that and maybe go to the state police in the state over and they'd be like oh that's fucked up and yeah we'll look into it and we'll protect you it's that easy so the movie ends with uh, Greg Grantham, Denzel Washington's character, being interviewed on the news. And they're trying to be like, who's your source? Where is she? And he's just like, won't reveal anything. Um, the chief of staff for the president resigned because of the blowback. Uh, the president, that, guy, that guy sucks, yeah, by the way. The president himself, who I kind of thought was basically Nixon, was what they were trying to show with him, is unlikely to run for re-election because of the blowback. And they're like, well to denzel washington like does your source even exist and he's like she's almost too good to be true uh i wrote down in my notes because they were like uh what's next for you like are you scared at all and he's just like oh i'm not scared i'm like oh yeah uh grantham is about to be uh there's about to be a news report saying grantham committed suicide with four shots to the head so yeah. uh for going that after the or, cia that or grantham just took a communications executive position with apac and <laughs> like all right i'm cashing out of this newspaper business fuck it so that is the end of the movie um i thought it was it's okay like it wasn't 
oh you shit come on like it was fun but there was a lot of shit in this movie that i was just like fucking dude come on like so uh i don't know if we just want to jump right into our sessions before we do our notes on it but do you have stuff planned already for your motion to strike yes uh my motion to strike uh I think we both agree that this thing's too long, but that's yeah. really not a specified, articulated thing. So it's improper. So we got to get real into the weeds here. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, I, well, I mean, if I cared about being this podcast being particularly woke or PC, I'd say Stanley <laughs> Tucci in Arab <laughs> face should probably get cut out. Uh, it's, it's a little rough, but he also plays an excellent assassin. So, like, props to him. He's just too cool, man. He's just so, and he does a great impersonation of uh, of her. Like, he he does it like his voice sounds like his voice. It's great. Uh, now, I'd probably cut out the just the. It seems like there are just too many monotonous scenes in New Orleans where she's waiting around, hiding in hotel rooms. Like, yes, it, they're yes. not developing the suspense very well it's just sort of like all right now i've moved to this hotel now i've moved to that like that shit is just like as well as like the second tier henchman like running after her like the guys they sent after her dude i mean you've got a, a, a failed opera major uh who's now looks like a you know like a country club member and just a creepy dude who like to his credit, fought off a couple of the metalheads, but I mean, he just looks like a guy who'd offer kids candy from his van. I was just like, these are not like the best, they're not sending their best. So like, I was unimpressed. I was unimpressed by the cat and mouse there because it really lowered the stakes by making it a little drawn out and mundane. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I wrote down in my notes for some of my motion. Like I didn't have specific scenes, but what I wrote down, I was like, this movie is about half hour to maybe even 45 minutes too long for what it ultimately is because it's it's ultimately not like this movie that needs to be that long because at its core it's basically like runaway jury it's a legal thriller but it's more of an action like suspense thriller it's not about Mm -hmm. the courtroom it's about all the weird espionage stuff in the background well it's more of a polemic because it's more of a commentary on political or bureaucratic structures, right? These vested interests of these things and how they play out. But it's a polemic that actually doesn't have an ideology. So it's just sort of fucking stale and stupid in that regard. And everything is cool, but I was like, you could cut down some of that investigative stuff with uh, Denzel and Julia to more of a montage because there was a lot of like overburdensome stuff. There's a lot of introductory stuff before we even get into the meat of the movie. Like we're establishing every character before we even get close to what like the point of the movie is. Uh, Like you, I wrote down in my notes Mm -hmm. too. I'm like, there's repeated assassination attempts. I'm like, we don't need to see like three of them. Just show us one, and we get that people are coming after her, and she has to move. Um, So there's just a lot of unnecessary stuff. Yeah. The the other thing, I don't really like the score. To this movie there was cool parts of it but the suspense stuff it i was like this movie came out in the 90s it felt like it was um should have more of a runaway jury type soundtrack or score but it had almost like a hitchcockian type score mm-hmm. where it was like really like big horns and stuff and i'm like it this is taking me out of it a little bit so that was just like a little critique i had but uh moving into the are like big thoughts on it does this movie pass the bar so if you haven't listened before we score movies from zero to 100 if it's over 50 it passes the bar uh spencer what was your score and does this movie pass the bar for you it absolutely passes the bar uh because it's trying to combine two areas of public interest the law and well three the law politics and media uh so points for being ambitious uh did it stick the landing completely? No, but I'm going to give it an 82, Joe, because it uh, touched on interests of public policy. It touched on politics and the conflicts of uh, bureaucracies. And, uh, you know, there were some plot twists that I wasn't expecting. And yeah, 82. Eat shit. 
Uh, okay, I came in a lot lower. Um, I still thought it passed the bar. Don't get me wrong. I still like thought it was overall like an enjoyable movie, but I gave it a sixty-five. Um, Damn, you're gonna have. Oh, simply this is a rough because precedent for these John Grisham movies we're gonna do. Okay, simply because the whole time I watched it, I was like, "Man, we're still on like this part of the movie." I was like, mm-hmm. and if it was written more in like a procedural type of way i would have been okay with that but it just it was it seemed like it was like i said i keep going back to runaway jury but i didn't enjoy this movie as much as i did runaway jury like runaway jury like knew what it was doing and it was like cool hip and i was like i feel like this is kind of trying to be that but it's got it's like feet in both areas and it doesn't know which one to fully stand in Hmm. so that's 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 why i came down lower uh because runaway jury i gave a 79 and i was like i can't give it more closer to that because i enjoyed that movie more but that being said this movie is uh got a 74 uh, because i rounded up total from both of us or average from both of us so it is higher than changing lanes and then obviously god's not dead too but uh (laughs) that is that is the only ones that it's higher than it comes in just below i care a lot uh is the is the Uh... closest one to it yeah, and I'd rather watch this one over I Care A Lot <laughs> easily. It's got way more repeat rewatch value than I Care A Lot. Uh, so getting into our uh, next section, what kind of student would X character be in law school? And we got a lot for this mm-hmm. one. Um, mm-hmm. I think we start off with the big hitter, okay. Darby, played by Julia Roberts because she is in law school while we're yeah. watching this so we don't have to we don't have to speculate too much as to what kind of law student she is yeah uh, i mean we kind of see it in the beginning like she's smart she's very confident when she speaks uh the one thing i would say this isn't really what kind of person she would be but there would definitely be a lot of rumors going around her at the law school that like oh she gets special treatment because she's sleeping with the professor not that you know those are true at all but that definitely would be something that she would have to deal with as being a student out there yeah my characterization of what was she like in law school well she was the girl who was sleeping with the law professor (laughs) Uh, i I don't think i mean i mean it is what it is uh i don't recall running into that in law school uh, when i went but uh yeah i guess that's just an old like an old cliche that uh, yeah for sure that has died out thankfully i suppose i mean there's just been enough title nine investigations that have just kind of scrub that right out <laughs> early t- early retirement for a lot of tenured professors uh moving into a, a more minor character alice played by cynthia nixon i hmm. didn't really get a big read on her i just couldn't separate her from cynthia nixon which i was like dude if i went to law school with cynthia nixon that'd be she would just wipe the floor with anyone <laughs> like i feel well, like i mean so miranda from sex in the city <laughs> was a high-powered new york litigator yes, yes. Uh, who was very tough uh very exacting and i can actually see the bridge between these two characters i can't not see the bridge and so like yeah she scares me uh i would not cross her one bit uh yeah. very very intelligent very competent uh disagree with her in a way that angers her or a you know, offends her, just prepare to pack a bag, man, because <laughs> <laughs> you need to get out of town. Uh, moving to Professor Callahan, uh, I mean, he went to school probably a, a long time before mm-hmm. uh, any of his students, obviously, but I, I think, it, one, he seems smart, extremely smart, because I think they even say he and Gavin went to, like, Yale together. I think they I dropped mean, he, that. He, he clerked for the chief justice of the supreme court yeah i to me he seems like a guy who's extremely smart but maybe like too much for his own good where it like plays into his ego a lot because mm-hmm. we get that a little bit with his like right up before his death scene where he's just like he like, he's kind of shitting on her and everyone where he's just like whatever i don't like i can see that he's kind of like he's smart but he knows it and mm-hmm. he probably has a drinking problem as well is kind of established so I think he's just kind of one of those guys that maybe he was too smart for his own good sort of guy. Yep. Classic fatal flaw. And as we all know, it ends with your car blowing up. <laughs> you in it. Yeah. Uh, what about Gavin, the FBI attorney? Uh, well, I mean, he, he was an alpha, much like uh, you know, 
much like his buddy Callahan, uh, but probably a little bit more, not as intellectual, a little bit more practical, kind of saw the outs uh, and decided he wanted to go into quote unquote public service. Maybe he wanted to be a politician to start, uh, but yeah. then as he climbed the ranks within the Department of Justice, because uh, he was an FBI attorney, he realized, yeah, that's not going to happen, but this is a pretty sweet gig, and I get to call, I get, I get involved in a lot of cool meetings before anyone else does, and so he was just part of the, I mean, he was a public interest hound, you know, he, he uh, was going after bad guys and briefing the president, like, that's a pretty cool job, so good for him, you know, uh, yeah, he strikes me as a guy who'd be like a very like on the straight and narrow and lost for like no deviation from like what is and what isn't acceptable. Oh, I, I'm going to push back on that. I could see him having a, oh, he likes to drink. Like he likes to have fun <laughs> when it comes to bar review. You know, like he, he, there's probably a few former uh, female law students uh, who are, you know, have something to say about that man but you know he's repented over the years now that he's mature he makes sure that none of that gets out oh well you know shit man it's one of the perks of the job of being an fbi (laughs) true true you've got a guy for that (laughs) uh so to end with someone who i don't think went to law school according to the movie but potentially what do you think gray grantham would have been denzel washington's uh I probably would have hated him because, <laughs> because he reminds me a lot of me. So that's as far as my analysis. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's hard to separate the character from the person, Denzel, because if you went to law school with a person like Denzel, I'd be like, this guy's so fucking cool, man. Yeah, right? like just, just effortless. Everything <laughs> he does is just cool. Like even when he's wrong on a, on a cold call, he, he still does it with charm. And you're like, fuck, that should be the right answer. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, he'd just be a guy. You, everyone would want to be friends with him for sure. Oh, absolutely. What's not, I mean, it's Denzel, man. Like one of the coolest actors, top five coolest actors of all time. For sure. Easy. Uh, so finally moving into our final thoughts on the movie, I'll let you start Spencer. What, what are some like parting thoughts you have on the Pelican mm-hmm. brief? Well, uh, it, it's one of the earlier John Grisham movies. Um, and so for that, uh, I don't think America realized it was really in for a run of John Grisham movies. But, <laughs> but if they were doing much air travel at the time and saw those paperbacks everywhere, they should have been on notice. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, listen, like, it, it's a fun movie. It drags a little bit. I call that 90s bias, like older filmmaking. Yeah. I think that's our, we expect you know, a more modern pace. If we're going to watch an older movie, we expect it to be impeccable. You know, why else would we bother with it? But no, it's fine. The cast is just loaded. Oh, awesome it's cast. just just awesome. Uh, John Lithgow uh, is a hilarious news editor who literally says the line where he, he like says, I may have to fire you over this insubordination, but then you're just going to sue me and claim discrimination. <laughs> I was like, fuck John Lithgow. <laughs> can't say that like, uh, yeah man uh nice suspenders too uh yeah man it, it, it's a fun one of the original pres- like i mean i can't say it's one of the original legal thrillers they're ones that predated grisham but this helped set the standard so yeah. you know, i i'm i stand by my bar passage rate on this at an 82 and uh, i encourage you all to check it out on netflix it's available right now if you haven't seen it yeah so i mean uh, people might think that i'm being harsh with my score um i i'd still think obviously that it was a f- enjoyable movie and it passes the bar um i you mentioned that this is one of the first grisham movies and like I've admitted on past episodes, I have not seen a lot of Grisham movies. I've seen a few that I enjoyed. Uh, and I think when I watch this movie, this is going to be the Napster of <laughs> Grisham movies for me. Like, it's not the best one, and may, it doesn't hold up as much as the other ones, but you can't have the other ones without this one starting it. I'm hopeful that that's what's going to happen with this one where I'm like, maybe I'll come around on this movie and I'll like it more because I'll see what it kind of started 
for Grisham mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, I'd still say like I enjoyed myself watching this movie, except for a couple of times where I was like, "All right, come on, pick it up." We still got a yeah, little absolutely. bit left to this movie, but yeah, but I, I like it. I liked it a lot. Um, you know, Joe, it'll despite be my score, it, Joe, it'll be interesting uh, as we take you through a tour of Grisham movies uh, to see where this falls critically for you in terms of like, oh, is this the worst one he did? Is it right in the middle? Like, I, I'm curious, like, I have my own thoughts, but I'm not going to share any until we watch them in tandem for the, you know, for the benefit of the listener. Uh, yeah, there's just one out there, really. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I will throw out this take and I want you to test it for the next Grisham movies that we do. I think this is the best cast of a Grisham movie. Oh, it's going to be hard to beat, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and he's had some good ones. Uh, but, I mean, if you think, and like you think about, oh, well, you got Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington. Those are two of the biggest stars in the world now. But in 1994, like, are they the biggest in the world? Not quite. They're both on the rise there. So, like, which is, you know, very telling and like i can tell that because uh i'm not a big julia roberts fan actually i don't like Mm. i just like just just, i don't know just uh not my thing but like this one i was like no i'm into julia roberts in this role like i buy it and uh i buy her southern accent it works for her so (laughs) perfect well i will keep that in mind for our next episodes as we get further and further into the extended Grisham verse but from Spencer and myself remember never talk to the cops never go to law school and none of this is legal advice damn right